you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn with me to 2 Samuel. Before we get started this morning, I just want to take just a, uh, just a moment of personal privilege, if I may. Uh, Jan and I have been working this past year, actually it's been a whole year now, it's only been three or four weeks, uh, trying to get and minister to her mom. And most of you know that we're uh, putting her in assisted living. And actually, Tuesday afternoon, we made arrangements, and Tuesday afternoon we left. She was in Columbia, Tennessee. And we left and went down and actually put her in a transition room. And then we went down Friday afternoon and started loading up the trucks and stuff and, and uh, moving her furniture into her room at assisted living. And of course, when she saw that, it kind of dawned on her that this is going to be a more than just a temporary thing. Um, and it was also her dad's birthday yesterday, the same time. And today is Janet's birthday. And uh, so I want to say to my bride, happy birthday. Now, in the midst of all this, uh, I wanted to, I know that it's been a very tough season for her, and I've tried to minister to her the much as, as much as I can, and I'll pray for God to minister to her as well. But I wanted to give her a birthday gift, and she wanted to go to the symphony. The symphony. Amen. So I got tickets to the symphony last night, so we got in late yesterday afternoon, changed and got dressed and I took her to Huntsville to listen to the symphony. And I, I sang when I was in college, I sang with the symphony some, but it's a different perspective when you're singing on stage with the symphony than being out in the audience listening to just symphony music. Because I was singing with the symphony, they were backing us up. But when you're listening, the symphony just, they're the ones in control. Okay. And I had to admit, I was a little presumptuous about it. I didn't know what I was going to feel about it and how I thought about it. But, you know, it was actually wonderful, beautiful. And I was right with them all the way to the end of the national anthem. <laughs> I was right there. They had me. I was singing. It was great. And then they started playing some other stuff, Gershwin stuff. Then they threw in some... Uh, Old Testament character, a cow or something. And then they went to some Copeland stuff. And it was good. I didn't recognize a single tune the rest of the evening except at the end. And then I discovered that they were playing a beef commercial song. <laughs> and I'm going, I look over to her and I'm going, how in the world did a beef commercial make it into the symphony? And she goes, you are so ignorant. <laughs> she didn't say that. That's my interpretation. Just, that's my discernment. I didn't realize these commercials take classical music and make commercials out of it. I thought this was just real commercial. And I thought it was good enough that it made to the symphony. But I was wrong. Okay. It's obviously a classical piece of music. And how in the world it wound up in a cowboy commercial for beef, I don't know. 
But every time da, 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 comes up, I'm ready to eat. And they played this at the end, and I wanted a steak so bad, I couldn't see straight. But I didn't, because it was late. We came home, and I needed to rest. And we did. We got to bed and rest last night. But I wanted to say happy birthday to her. And thank you for your prayers as we continue to walk through this. Yeah. It's, it's very... Um, Samuel chapter 2. We've been talking about this. The sermon series that we're in is called Reboot, where we're, we're trying to just... Just shut everything down for a moment. Have some time with God and reboot and set our priorities in line with God. Understanding His way of doing things, His premise for us, His priorities, instead of what the world kind of wants to shove down our throats. And, and the world is about that. Y'all know that, right? Amen. The world wants to dictate how you should feel, how you will feel. It wants to, It's just all kinds of stuff. And I, I know that you know what I'm talking about. And we talked about David as he was very intentional. This is a text in 2 Samuel chapter 6, 1 through 15. It talks about the journey of David bringing the Ark of the Covenant to the city of David in Jerusalem where the Ark of the Covenant should reside. It wants to reside. That's where the capital of Israel, that's where Judaism takes place. That is the place of worship and the temple was built by Solomon some, some years after uh, David. And so David gets 30,000 men together and he goes up to the hill of Bershah and he said, we need to take this covenant. Builds a new cart, puts it on wheels, grows it down. And, and, and Isaiah, which is one of the guys, put his hands upon the cart to stabilize it and he falls dead. And, and at that time, David becomes very angry with God because Uzziah was just trying to help. But what David did not realize is that he put Isaiah in a dangerous position because, see, David ignored the instructions of God. God gave explicit instructions of how the Ark of the Covenant should be handled, how it should be carried, and it was not with an ox and cart. It was by the hand of the Levite. The Levites were given the assignment of the care of the Ark of the Covenant. He was in complete disobedience with God. And when he was in disobedience with God and something happened, God called him on his disobedience. Then David became angry. And I want to read about where it says in, 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 in verse, which, which verse is it? Yeah, that he was angry. Verse 7. It says that, yeah, the Lord's anger... Burned again Uzziah because his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark. And David, and David was angry. Everybody say angry. Amen. David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzziah. And to this day the place is called Perez Uzziah, which means the place that God's anger broke out against Uzziah. How about that for an interpretation? That's what it means. And it said David was afraid of the Lord. He was afraid of the Lord. And we're going to talk about these two things. We're going to talk about anger and we're going to talk about fear. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. We ask you this morning that your spirit be loosed in this place. Among the hearts of your people, may we hear your truth. May it set us free. May we understand 
your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Anger. Anger is a common thing. Everyone in this room has experienced anger because it's a natural emotion, sometimes a cause and response. And, and everyone has experienced this. The question is, is not whether we get angry, it's why we get angry and how we display our anger. We see here that David is angry, but he was angry not because necessarily of what God had done, even though it seems to read that way. David, I propose, was more angry at himself than he was anything. So how does anger show up in our life? How does anger affect us in a lot of different ways? Well, first of all, I'd like to pose this theory to you. In one aspect of anger, anger is often of a reflection of our disobedience or our disappointment in our own standards. In our own standards. A lot of times I've became angry. I became I become angry at somebody because they've actually called me on things that I'm doing that I know I should not be doing. And I take it out on them, even though I know I'm the one that's wrong. Have y'all ever done that? Yep. Come on now. I think, I think we all have in the fact that we know we have a standard. We know we have aspirations. We know, as we talked about last week, we press toward the mark. We are God gold people. In other words, we have a vision of where God wants to take us. We have a vision of what our life should look like, enlightened by an illumination of, of God and His Spirit and His character and His commands and, and all these things. But some of us become feet dwellers, and we talked about that the other night. We, we're looking of what, right where we're at instead of the goal in which we're called. And so we get hung up here. And when we get hung up here and our vision is not placed on the mark and we're not trying to achieve the things that we know are right and doing what's right, and because we're foot dwellers, we're so concerned with the circumstances and what's happening right now, we get confused. And then we're called on it because we get out of position and we're facing somewhere else or we're in line with something else that doesn't reflect the standard of the goal or the call that Jesus has on our life. And they call on us and all of a sudden we get mad about it. We get angry. And a lot of times we get angry at the person that's calling us out instead of what we're being called out for. And what it does, it eliminates the process of accountability in our lives. It rejects the position that we need to be corrected and we are correctable. Amen. How many of you know that you need correction? How many enjoy being corrected? I do not like one iota of you trying to correct me. I don't like my daddy doing it. I never did. And I'm going on 60 years old and I still don't. I don't like my mama doing it. And I don't like the young is doing it. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> I don't like it. It's the only one that gets by with that. 
<laughs> we don't like to be corrected, yet in our lives we need correction. Amen. We need accountability. We need that adjustment in our life to get us back looking at the vision of the gold in which God has called us. We don't need condemnation now. There's a difference, by the way. There's a difference between correction and condemnation. If you're correcting someone, as the scripture says, in love. And by the way, it takes love to correct somebody. Do you know why? Here's my theory. Because I do a lot of correcting in a lot of different ways. <laughs> here's, here's my theory with it, okay? I don't like that either. It takes a lot of energy to correct you. It takes a lot of energy to offer options and solutions. And if somebody loves you enough that when you ask... Or when you submit yourself and they offer you some correction, don't take for granted that it comes easy. Because it's, di it's difficult. I, and I, this is a sidebar, but I want to hit this right quick too. Uh, it's also very hard to discipline and correct children as well. If you want to raise your children easy, let them do whatever they want to do. Okay? Doesn't matter whether it's easy. But it'll be harder later. It takes energy, effort, intentionality to discipline children and to correct them. Discipline, by the way, does not necessarily mean punishment. Discipline means correction. Amen. Correction. Oftentimes, I think we get carried away with the punitive part of discipline rather than the corrective part of discipline. And correction is teaching the right way Amen. and exampling the right way instead of the wrong. Anger. Anger is usually a self-reflection of something that you're doing that is not living up or is disappointing you in what you want to do or you know that it is due. Now let me ask you this question. Is anger a sin? No. No? No. No. Really? Thank God. <laughs> Thank you, Phyllis. You're in. If you're visiting with us, we're participatory here. We all chip in. And if it's wrong, I'll correct it. <laughs> In love. In love. There you go. In love. Okay. Is anger a sin? No, anger is not a sin. The Bible is very specific about this. It says, when you get angry, don't sin. As a matter of fact, it says, be slow to anger. But when you get angry, don't sin. Because every one of us gets angry. But there's different types of anger. There is a righteous anger. A righteous anger is an anger that you see that other people are being uh, unjusted, unjustly used or abused or whatever. There's a, 
righteous indignation toward that and you become angry about it and so you want to do something about it. Social injustice, which is a big tenet of the United Methodist Church. We fight for social injustice because we we become angry about it because it's not God's way. Because each one of us has sacred worth and, and we're to live together and to serve each other and to love each other like God loved us. And we know that example is true because God loved us while we were yet still sinners. He died for our sins. So you don't have to get perfect before you experience the love of God. And you don't have to be perfect for us to be able to love you. And if somebody abuses you or takes advantage of you or this or any other, it's going to make me angry. And that's a good anger. Can we all agree with that? But there is also a destructive anger. An anger that is built up and placed inside. An anger that you harbor and it turns into bitterness and strife and discord. And that anger becomes destructive. It's so destructive that it will play out itself and manifest often in physical terms. You know, by people picking up something and throwing something. People putting their fists through walls. You ever seen anybody put a fist through a sheetrock wall? Oh, yeah. Okay, I've seen it. Seen somebody kick a door of a F-150, 78 model, perfectly green, nice, cr- kick the door in because he's mad. I never saw that, but I'm just saying. It's not, it's not a good thing. Anger, when provoked in wrath to do things that play out unhealthy, destructive things that have gone inside of us, that is destructive and it will tear us apart. And that anger is accomplished because we don't practice good, best practices of spiritual health and welfare. For example, if you have a conflict with somebody, when's the last time that you've practiced biblical applications of how to resolve that conflict? You know, say, well, the Bible has something to say about that. (laughs) I'm glad you asked. Matthew chapter 18 outlines how we're to handle discords, how we're to handle confrontations, how we're to do this. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 18, it says, if you have ought against your brother, in other words, your brother has, and you get angry about something, whatever, you need to go to that brother and talk to them. Amen. And say, look, I'm just going to tell you something. I love you. Always start with love because that helps. Because what you're about to say is not going to reflect that love. So love needs to be shown or at least confessed right off the beginning. So start out now, brother, I love you. But. But. <laughs> and I've, caught, I've stopped using but because I'm just tired of all these buts. <laughs> so I started using the word however. However. <laughs> I love you. However. However. I've got some things here we need to talk about because this is what I heard you say. And to be honest with you, that kind of ticked me off. And I'm angry about it. Can you help me with it? And a lot of times they'll say, I I didn't say that. I said, well, yeah, you did. Well, if I did, I didn't mean that. Well, what did you mean? Well, this is what I meant. And it says that Going and talking to somebody, it says every word is established. And by establishing the word, what we do is we breach this big barrier called communication. Yes. Mm. 
the number one problem that we have in all relationships, all relationships, all relationships, is what? Communication. Communication. Matter of fact, if you want to get married and you come to see me and say, Brother Steve, I just love you. You're such a spiritual man. And we want you to preside over our wedding because we want to get married under God. You're going to have some counseling. And the first counseling question I'm going to ask you, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, we're sure. We're in love. We're in love. Y'all ever been there in love? Oh, yeah. Some of you married never got there. I understand that. <laughs> but keep working toward it, okay? It'll come. <laughs> I'm in love. I said, okay, I'm going to give you a book to read. And that book is on the 11th edition. It was written by Dr. H. Stoneman Wright. I started using it back in the early 80s. He's put out 11 more editions. And it's entitled simply, what? Communication. communication. Everybody say communication. communication. It's the number one thing that we have a problem with as people in every relationship and everything. Your job? Communication and home and your relationship, communication, and 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 your hobbies and stuff and where you hang out, communication. It's communication. It's the number one thing. Second of all, when you come to me, I'm going to ask you, have you gotten mad at each other in fault? Oh no, we're too much in love for that. <laughs> we're just going to float from all now till God comes back, and He won't even have to get us off the ground because we're still floating. And I'm going to say. It's over. Done. I'm not doing it. I will not marry you unless you have a good fight. Not a pretend fight, an earnest fight. I mean, red in the face, juggler showing, I'm mad, fight. And then when you work through that, we're going to talk about it. And then if everything is okay and you still want to get married, I'll do it. Okay. There are prerequisites. Anger has a lot to do with communication. If we're not communicating properly, the anger that is good for righteous or in, in, uh, the, the righteous indignation type of, of anger, it, 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 it's okay with that. But if we don't do the communication process, this bitterness, this strife, this heartache, this cancer type of anger will take root and hold of us very quickly if we're not careful. You're in a relationship with your spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, I'm going to tell you, you need to learn this because if you communicate properly, you will, you will evade a lot of cancerous anger, bitterness, and strife. It'll help. Communicate. So you have a righteous and a good anger that if you exercise it properly is, is justice, brings justice. The bad kind of anger brings destruction. And it brings heartache. And I've seen lots of relationships and I've seen lots of things destroyed by anger. Don't let the anger, and don't let your anger turn to the rancid side. Let it always remain to the good side. Manage it well. And understand this, anger is very self-reflected. In other words, you'll discover a lot about yourself through anger. There's another experience that David had here. He said he became angry with God. And after he pronounced his anger about God, then he was afraid. 
Lots of times, displace or disproportionate uh, anger when placed in the wrong place leads us to fear. You know why? Because we know we're wrong. That's right. It's a result of, well, it can be a result of fear, or fear can be a result of the anger. So the fact of the matter is, is that when we feel this fear, it's a good indicator that maybe there's something that we should be self-aware about in the anger process that needs transformation, that needs correction, that needs changing. David was afraid of God. A God that loved us while we were yet still sinners. A God that redeemed us. A God that's made provision for us. A God that is a blessing when we're in a presence. A God that created us. He was afraid of him. Was he afraid of him because of what God did? Or because how he responded in what David did? He was afraid because of self-illumination. He discovered that he disobeyed God and he did not do things correctly. Didn't do it right. And he became afraid. Here's the problem with fear. If not recognized and put in the proper perspective of causing the right change and letting it be a change agent in your life, a lot of us get carried away and it becomes the source or the, or the current that carries us in life. Fear needs to always be the change agent, not the current. Are you listening to me? So many times we get in fear and we let that be the current and it guides us instead of letting fear be the change agent reflecting to us where we need to make adjustments Amen. or correction in our life. Don't be sucked into that. Fear should be faced. Fear should be embraced. And fear should be used to actively transform your heart and life to a better place, a place that is closer to God. A yes. place that is closer to God, not further away, because the current of fear will carry you further away from God. God says He did not give us a spirit of fear that is com completely contracted by man, but He did give us that of a sound mind. We're to use our heart and our mind to serve God and use the emotions in which we experience that God wired in us to transform us and help us to become more made and formed to His image. Are y'all following Him at all? Mm. After David got over his fear, his anger subsided because usually fear comes after anger subsides. Anger is a momentary poof, you know, it's a rage or emotion or whatever. And then after that's come, you discern how that fear was, if it was good, appropriate, or right. And then fear comes in alongside of it because we messed up. You know. After he got the anger subsided, the fear set in, then he made a decision and he didn't let fear carry him in a current, but he let fear be a change agent in his life. And he says, I've got to go get the ark. I've got to do it right this time. So he figured out what God's will was and what God designed, how the ark should be carried and how it should be handled. And then he did exactly what God had told him to do. And when he did, he was successful. 
and bringing the ark and the presence of God to the city of David. Isn't it amazing what happens when the presence of God is real and present in your life? I, I tell you, fear is, is a thing that sometimes masks the reality of who we are and what we're about. Next week we're going to talk a little about, about worship, but I want to touch on it just a little bit. Well, I wanted to touch on it a little bit today. Here's the thing with, with fear and, and, and worship and how all that takes place is that fear brings earnest, if, if we use it as a change agent, will bring earnest self-awareness and earnest structure of how and, and that you're going to and you want to change. How many of you know change is very difficult to come by? You just don't say, ah, I'm going to change. Lord, if that was true, I'd be wearing size 33 slacks and, and, and look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, you just don't go, hmm, I'm going to change. Change is a process. And sometimes it's a very slow process. You didn't know this, but I've been losing micro pounds for a long time. <laughs> you just don't know it. Because change is that subtle sometimes. And one day I'm going to walk in here and you're going to go, wow. That's about when I'm 80 and I'm dried up. And <laughs> that's the way, <laughs> the way it happens. But I'm in the process. Change takes time. And it takes a process. And sometimes in that process you're going to experience floods of anger, disappointment, anger and fear. Disappointment and stuff. Always be on the side of using your your fear as a change agent and using your anger in the proper healthy side, not the bitterness side. Practice Matthew 18, understanding what that is. Okay, and here's a big thing: Matthew 18 just doesn't apply to us; it applies to us. You ever got mad at God? I have. I've gotten mad at God, and guess what? When I didn't go and talk to Him about it. It got worse. And I'd go behind his back and talk to other people about him. How'd that work? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. It didn't work out too well. I finally had to go and confront him. I said, we need to talk. He goes, oh, really? Yeah, I got a problem with you. Okay. What's your problem? You didn't do this. You didn't do that. You didn't do the other. I'm really tired and disappointed about this. I'm really tired and disappointed about that. You let me down here. You let me down there. He goes, I understand. Now, here's the problem. At the points that you said that I let you down, I was the very one holding you up. At the points you said that I wasn't with you at all, I was with you, but I wasn't beside you I was carrying you that's right at the times you were so disappointed because things didn't turn out the way they needed to be is because you needed to make this wrong decision so you could get here so you could make a right decision yeah. there you go. and you asked me for wisdom and I just gave it to you wow. mm, there you go see sometimes wisdom is trusting God even in your mistakes yeah. how many of you know sometimes you got to lance a wound and squeeze it out 
and get it cleaned out before the wound can heal. Sometimes you've got to make a decision that seems unwise to get to a position that you can make a wise decision. Are you hearing me? I pray for wisdom every day. We pray before I leave, and she can tell you, I pray for wisdom every day. Discernment, wisdom, courage, strength, blessings, favor, that I might honor him in everything that we do. I pray for my family. I pray for my church family. I pray for those that need prayer that I don't even know about. I pray for the lost, the sick, and less fortunate. And I pray for all those in need, which I am one. I pray for that every morning. And here's what I have to do. When I walk out of the door, I have to trust that he's doing it. So the decision process that I have has to be the wisdom of God, even if they may be seemingly wrong at the moment. They'll lead me to a right place later on down the road. You know why? Because I just trust God. I have to trust him in the bad as well as the good, not just when the good comes along. And I know that just because I got mad at him once about it, and I went and talked to him. And he said, you got to trust me. That even in the poor decisions that you think are seemingly poor decisions at the time are unwise, they will lead you to the better wisdom that comes later. And the difference between that and somebody making a foolish choice is because you are seeking me with all your heart. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. We're going to talk about worship next week. I can't talk, but I'm out of time. I'm out of time and I'm just, I'm just angry about it. <laughs> Let it out, brother. <laughs> no, I'm not going to ask you, but I was going to ask you about 15 more minutes, but I'm not going to ask you that. You know why? You know why? Because I love you enough to let you meditate on what you can. It's kind of like the fellow one time, he had his son, they were out on the side of the hill and they were feeding cows with hay. And they had, and only about three or four calves showed up, so only put out a few, a few bells. And, but off in the distance they saw this little old white church and stovepipe coming and bellering smoke. And the son looked over to the dad and says, Dad, I think I'll go to church today. He said, well, okay. Not many cows came up today. We don't have much to do. You go on, go to church. So he walks down to the meadows and he comes into the front door, opens it up. It's pot belly stove in the middle of the church there, or just maybe off to the side and the front. And there was the preacher. Nobody's shown up. So he goes and he joins the preacher at the pot belly stove and they're warming himself together. And the preacher looked at him, looked at his watch. He says, well, it's a little after time to start. You're the only one here. Let's just have church. And he said, okay. So the pastor gets up in the pulpit, and the boy takes his seat in the pews, and the pastor begins to sing the songs, goes through the whole sermon. It was a little long sermon that day. and got through, and both the pastor and the boy met at the pot belly stove, and they were warming themselves again. And the pastor couldn't help because, you know, we kind of like to know how, you know, God touched you and how it was going that day. And he looked over to the young man, and he says, Well, son, how'd you enjoy church? And the young boy looked back at the pastor, and he says, well, pastor, to tell you the truth, when me and daddy feed cows and only two show up, we don't give them a whole load. <laughs> so I'm not going to give you the whole load. 
You glad you came to church today? Thanks for watching. We would love for you to connect with us online. On our website, you will find up-to-date information about everything happening around here. Look for us on Facebook and Instagram. And please, download our free app on your smartphone or tablet. We are so glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy your friendship experience.